Good, if you would take your Bibles, Luke chapter 7, we're going to get right into our sermon this morning, Luke chapter number 7. <clears throat> Whenever you find that, if you wouldn't mind to stand, we'll begin our reading in verse number 18. It's kind of hard to see it on there, sorry about that, but Luke chapter 7, verse 18. Jesus has just healed the, uh, the servant of the centurion, remember that, who was, who was on his deathbed. And then in our last passage last week, we, he raised that boy from the dead, well, a young man, probably a young man in his 20s, I bet, raised him right there in the funeral procession from the dead. And now we get to verse 18, where the Bible says this, And the disciples of John showed him all these things. Well, what things? Well, what Jesus has been doing. And the disciples of John have come to show him those things. Verse 19, And John, calling it to him, two of his disciples sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And then it says in verse 20, When the men were coming to him, they said, John, John Baptist has said unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way, and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he. Whosoever shall not be offended with me. We're going to pray and we'll get into our message this morning titled this, Dealing with Doubt. Dealing with Doubt. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the clarity of it. Thank you that it does help us, God, in difficult times to be confident in your word and confident in who you are and in what you're doing in our life. Help us, God, to trust you. Help us, God, to always deal with the doubt that's in us. And pray that you help us as we explain this passage and help me as I preach your word that you give boldness and help and clarity of thought and help us all that parts that are open and ready to receive this morning. Christ name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much <clears throat> for standing. And so this is the first really of three sections that now deal with John the Baptist. Now, who's John the Baptist? Well, we first hear about John the Baptist in the very first chapter of Luke. In fact, we actually hear about John the Baptist before we even hear about Jesus himself. Uh, the book really opens as, as Luke gets into the story that he's telling Theophilus and gets into the, the story of Christ and the gospel. It really all starts with John the Baptist, who was born miraculously to his father Zacharias and his wife, who were both well over childbearing age. I like how uh, Luke put it. He said, now, Zacharias, he's old, but his wife is well stricken in years. You see? And Luke's a wise man. and he, You never call a lady old. But, but anyway, so... But Zacharias was old, and his wife was well stricken in years, and they were well past childbearing age. But angel, the angel Gabriel came to him and said, Zacharias, you will have a son. Now, but up to this point, they'd not had a child at all. They were barren, they weren't able to have children, and now uh, being barren and well past childbearing age, God performs a miracle, and they become pregnant with who would become John the Baptist. And in fact, God named him that. Remember, the angel said, when he is born, his name shall be John. And that wasn't one of the family names. Everyone was confused about that. But Zacharias said, no, God told me his name shall be John. 
And so he was a very special person. In fact, we'll read later in our passage that Jesus called him the, the greatest that's ever lived. Let's go ahead and find that just so we can put that in, in perspective. I'm going to want to find that. Uh, I, should, I wasn't planning to do this. but Okay, verse 28. Jesus said this of John the Baptist in our passage, Luke 7, verse 28. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, that means among human beings, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. That's in Jesus' own estimation. This man was a man greatly used of God. He, he was a great preacher of repentance. He was born to <coughs> Zacharias and Elizabeth, and then six months later, Jesus would be born. Um, I mean, or yeah, be born. And then he grew up, and, and he was a great preacher of righteousness. He, he grew up in the wilderness, and he ate uh, locusts and wild honey. Some of our teenagers are jealous. They're like, oh, that sounds awesome. And he wore camel camel hair, and I don't know if I can prove this, but I'm, I have a feeling he was just out there in the desert. He's like, I need some clothes. There's a camel. Boom! You know, take it and skin it and put him on. I don't know how that all happened. But he was a man, right? He was, he was a godly man, a strong man, a preacher of righteousness. And then as he preached righteousness and, he, and he, as he preached repentance and forgiveness of sins, he then would baptize those who came to Christ. And that's how it works, right? You place your faith in the Messiah. Now, at this point, the Messiah hadn't come. John was the one prophesied in Malachi that would be the, the forerunner for Christ. And so he was preparing the way, and he was preaching to Israel that the Messiah was coming. Repent, and those who believed in the coming Messiah, and those who repented of their sins were saved. And then after that, John was baptizing people. And he baptized a lot of people. And that's how he got the name John the Baptist. John the Baptizer. He baptized uh, many and his following was growing. There, there was, he had a lot of disciples, and, his, and the, the multitudes were gathering around, listening to him preach. He's, he's the same John that pointed to Jesus as Jesus began his public ministry. And at this point, as far as we know, only Jesus' family and, and John maybe would have known that Jesus was the Messiah. But now Jesus, as a 30-year-old man, is coming out, and he's going to start his public ministry. And it's John the Baptist who pointed at him and said, Behold! The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And, and then Jesus came, and John baptized Jesus himself. And as he did that, he heard the voice of the Father himself saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is the John the Baptist we're talking about. The same John who said, He must increase, and I must decrease. And you remember John was preaching, and he had this great following. And now Jesus comes on the scene, and a lot of John's followers are leaving John and following Jesus. And there were a lot who were saying, John, he's taking your disciples. And John's like, good, because it's not about me. I need to decrease. He needs to increase. He was a great preacher. He was a great man of God. And he was a bold preacher. And he would call people to task. And he wasn't necessarily rude about it, but he sure was, a, he were, sure was blunt about it. And he made sure people knew uh, what they needed to do in order to repent and get right with God. And in fact, he was so bold of a preacher that he called out Herod himself. And Herod was in a relationship he ought not to have been in, and we're not going to get into all the details about that, but it, was, it wasn't right. And so John called out Herod himself, and it got John thrown into prison. And now John's locked up. And John would have known the, uh, the justice system of the day, he would have known what happened to those who Herod was mad at, those who would maybe even be considered political enemies. 
he knew his day, his day was coming. And he was rotting in that prison for months and months, sitting there, really close to the beginning of Christ's public ministry. And so John is there in, in prison, really rotting away in there, and Jesus is out doing these miracles. And, and John really hasn't been able to witness any of these himself. Uh, Jesus is out there doing it while John's in prison. And what, what happened, what has happened throughout, uh, most likely, is throughout Jesus' entire ministry up to this point, his disciples would continue to come and, and visit him in prison and keep him up to date on what's going on. And so while he's in prison, in our uh, chapter, eight, uh, chapter 7, verse 18, in our passage it says, And the disciples of John showed him all of, of all these things. And so he's there in prison, and he, his disciples come, and, and most likely, as, as they have been, tell him about everything that's going on. And what are all of these things? Well, like we said, Jesus had just healed that centurion's servant's son, uh, servant, right? That centurion's servant was on his deathbed, and, and Jesus didn't even have to enter the building. He just spoke, and he was healed. And then in our last chapter, in our last uh, passage, uh, Jesus shows up to the city of Nain. Remember that? That small town of Nain. And this funeral procession is coming out of the gates. And there's this dead person on, on, the, on the gurney, if you will, or a stretcher. And Jesus reaches up, touches the, the stretcher, and stops the procession. And he says, rise. And he raises that, that young man from the dead. And, and this, these things are happening. And Jesus is doing these things. And he's healing the sick. And the, and the blind are seeing. And the, the deaf are hearing the lame are walking. And so the, the disciples of John go and tell John about all of those things. And again, we said John wasn't there for any of this. He wasn't able to see any of this with his own eyes. And so as John heard about what Jesus was doing, he sent two of his disciples back to Christ. Look at verse 19. And John, calling unto him two of his disciples sent them to Jesus. And so this group, presumably, of disciples have come to tell him what's going on. And, and John from the prison cell says, Hey, you two, I want you to go to Jesus, and I want you to ask him this, saying in verse 19, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? That's a, that's a gut punch. If, you're, if you don't know this is coming, and everything you know about who John is, and how faithful he's been, and and the way he preached righteousness and how he prepared the way for Christ and how God used him in so many ways, to now him asking this question, so Jesus, are you really the Messiah? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? And John was doubting here. John was beginning to doubt if Jesus really was the Messiah or if he wasn't. You say, man, how does, how does he get to a place like this? How does John the Baptist... John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, the great preacher in the wilderness, the baptizer. How, how did he get to this place? Well, we're not really told exactly why, but it probably had a lot to do with where he was at, with his circumstances, right? John was probably dealing with his hard circumstances. He was locked up in prison. And he'd been there for months, maybe even up to a year at this point. And listen, he'd spent his whole life serving God from his birth, from the womb. Remember that? When, whenever uh, Elizabeth was there and she's pregnant with John and, and Mary ha just became pregnant with Christ and Mary comes to visit Elizabeth and when, and when Mary, holding the, uh, the Son of God in her womb, walks in, the, Bi the Bible says John leapt in the womb of Elizabeth. 
From before he was born, he was serving God and he gave his life to God. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. He was boldly preaching. And after 18 months of a preaching ministry, many had come to him. Many were surrounded by him. He baptized many. Jesus himself, he baptized. And now, all of a sudden, his entire ministry is halted and he's arrested. And now he's locked up in a nasty, dirty, dark prison for months. So he might be thinking something like this. So this is what loyalty to Christ gets you, huh? I've spent my whole life serving God. And here I am, locked up in prison. He might be thinking, if Jesus really was who I think he is, then why hasn't he freed me from prison? And he could have, if he's God, why hasn't he freed me from this place? The Messiah was supposed to come and set the captives free. And here I am being a captive for up to a year. And not only that, but the Messiah in John's mind was supposed to come and wipe out the enemy. That was what John was looking forward to. He was looking forward, like the rest of Israel was, right? For the Messiah to come and overthrow Rome and and set up his kingdom. And so if anything, it should be Herod who's in prison and me who's set free. And he must be thinking thoughts like this. I mean, Jesus hadn't even come to visit him yet. For a year he's been there and Jesus hasn't even come to, to visit him. And so he's, so what he's going through, listen, what John is going through, it doesn't seem to line up with his faithfulness. It doesn't seem to add up. And so John might be wondering, am I doing the right thing here? Am I, is this all that's right? Am I, have I been preaching the right message? Is, is he really the one I thought he was? And all of this is happening in his mind. Another reason for his doubt most likely was because of how the Jews interpreted the Messiah. We just kind of mentioned it, but the Jews, they were looking for the Messiah to come and immediately judge the earth and set up his kingdom. And they really hadn't placed a lot of emphasis on, on the Messiah who would be the suffering servant. Now, we've, we've dealt with that for the last few months, but, but the, the Old Testament is very clear that when the Messiah comes, he would first become a, a suffering servant, and he would first bear our, our, our uh, let's see, by his stripes we are healed, I, I healed, Isaiah 53 says, and Daniel said he would be cut off and so the, the Old Testament talks about that, but the first century Judaism really wasn't focused too much on that part of the Messiah. They were all looking for the Messiah to come instead of his kingdom. And John was preaching about a Jesus, a Messiah who would come with judgment and fire. Remember that? He said, I judge you with, I, I baptize you with water, but he'll come and baptize you with fire. He's going to bring judgment. And so he was expecting all of that. He was expecting the Messiah to come and make everything right. And now all he's hearing about is this man, Jesus, who's meek and humble and lowly and like healing people and making sick people feel better. And all that's good, but where's the judgment, right? Where's the kingdom? Maybe he's missing something. And truly he was missing something, wasn't he? He was missing something. He didn't have the full revelation like we have it today. And, and, and like I said, they, in the interpretation of that day, they were focusing on certain Old, Old Testament prophecies more than others, and he was kind of missing something in his theology. He was kind of messed up on what the Bible said in some ways. He, he had forgotten about the fact that Jesus would come and be first a suffering servant. Another thing that maybe caused him to doubt is there was a line of thinking out there, some some just way out there tradition that said that when before Jesus comes, there wouldn't just be one prophet, like, like Malachi said, but there would be a line of prophets. 
And there was a line of thinking out there that said, before the Messiah came, first would come Elijah, and then would come Jeremiah, and then would come a few other prophets, and then the Messiah would come. Now, where do they get that? I don't know. Where a lot of Christianity today gets what they believe, I can't tell you. But there are some people there who came up with this theory or this, this thinking that says, before the Messiah comes, it's going to be actually a line of prophets. So you'll have Elijah, then Jeremiah, and this line of prophets. That's why in Matthew 16, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Remember that? He said, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What are they talking about? It's that theory that they had, that Elijah would come first, then Jeremiah, then the other prophets. And so uh, it could be that John the Baptist was thinking, maybe I've had this wrong. Maybe I'm supposed to come, and then maybe Jesus is just another one of those prophets. See? Maybe he's not the Messiah himself. Maybe he's another one of those prophets in the line, like some of these Pharisees and those were saying. And, and maybe I had this wrong the whole time. And so that's why John says, Are you the Messiah? Are you really the Son of God? Or are you just another one of these prophets? And are we looking for another one to come? And he's all messed up. You see? He's starting to doubt. He's starting to wonder. Am I doing the right thing here? Am I, is my message right? Or maybe those others. All the winds of doctrine and the other, every, what everyone else is saying, maybe they're right. And it's all really because he's struggling with this hard time. He's struggling with prison. He's wondering why this is all happening. And listen, Christians today, listen, Christians today still struggle with doubt. John the Baptist struggled with doubt. And Christians today still, at times in our life, struggle with doubt. Why? Well, because of the things we go through sometimes. Hey, sometimes we go through difficult times. Or loved ones we, we have. We have loved ones who go through really hard times. And we, we're tempted to think lots like this. Well, if God is real, then why is he letting this happen? If God is real, why am I going through this? I've, I've given my life to him. I've, I've tried to be faithful to him. And yeah, I've made mistakes along the way, but not as bad as some others out there. And so why am I dealing with this? Why me, right? And we start to wonder, if God is real, then why is he letting this happen? Or if God is real, why is he letting this happen to them? And we have doubts that way, and we start to question if we're really right about all of this. Am I doing the right thing? And if I am doing the right thing, then why is this happening? Sometimes we doubt because of false teaching and, and tradition of our day. As things happen that we don't expect and things are harder than we expect, maybe we start wondering, maybe, maybe I'm wrong and maybe these other uh, teachings are right. Maybe, maybe some of these other denominations, and there's so many opinions out there about how Christianity really is. Maybe this whole time I thought I was right and they were wrong. Well, maybe this whole time I've been the one who was wrong and they've been the one who was right. And you start to wonder if maybe these false doctrines out there that we, that we preach against and that we stand against, maybe they are right and maybe we're wrong. We're doubting. We can do that. Yeah. Maybe sometimes we're just missing something. We're just missing something. We're confused. Right? And we have bits and pieces, but we haven't had them all line up and tie together yet. Kind of where John was. And so there's doubt in, in, our, in our hearts sometimes. And we, and we believe in Christ and we want to follow Christ, but along the way, sometimes we begin to doubt if we're really doing the right thing or following the right way. And our passage this morning is going to help us. It's going to give us some help about how to deal with it. And listen, we, 
We have to deal with the doubt. We have to deal with the doubt. Listen, the Bible talks about a lot of believers who at one point or another doubted. You, if you're here this morning and you're doubting some things and you're wondering if you're doing the right thing here, if you're, if you're doubting or have doubted God or his word, I want you to know something that's not uncommon. You're not, you're not alone. Christians struggle with this. In fact, as you deal with all of the people in the Bible that doubted, they're all believers. You don't doubt if you're not a believer. Right? That's just called unbelief. But there's a lot of believers in the, in the Word of God who doubted. Moses doubted God. Gideon doubted God. Elijah. Elijah that we just heard about doubted God. Jeremiah doubted God. The apostles doubted God. We call Thomas the doubting disciple, but they were all they all doubted at one point or another. And here in our passage, we see John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest prophet ever. We find in our passage doubting big time and questioning everything. Hey, this happens, doesn't it? It happens. What is this? What is doubt? Well, doubt is a struggle to believe. It's a struggle to believe. So that means this. You want to believe, but you're struggling, right? Doubt. It's when you, you're prevented from fully believing, from fully buying in. Doubt is when maybe you have believed before, but now you're not so sure. Doubt, right? And again, doubt isn't really something unbelievers deal with. If you don't believe, that's just called unbelief, or, or sometimes even just outright rejection. That's not the same as doubt. Doubt is when you believe, and you really would like to believe fully, and you'd really like to be all into this thing, but for whatever reason, you're struggling. You're struggling. In fact, that's the main reason Luke wrote this book at all. If you go back to, don't lose your spot here, but go to Luke chapter 1. <coughs> Luke chapter 1. Luke wrote this book to a man named Theophilus. Luke 1, verse 1, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they were delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the world, of the word, look at verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having, per, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very beginning, from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. And so Luke wrote this entire book to this man named Theophilus. Why? Verse 4, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things, wherein thou hast been instructed. Now look at the end of verse 1. He said, these things I'm telling you, Theophilus, we surely believe these things. You and me, Luke says. I believe these things, you believe these things. And you've been instructed, it says in the end of verse 4. Thou hast been instructed in these things. But I'm writing this to help you know with certainty those things that you've heard. And, and Theophilus himself, the first reader of this book, would have identified with John here. He was a believer. He has accepted Christ. He's been instructed. He believed these things. But now the world's just going crazy, and the world's turning on Christianity, and, and, and he's being persecuted most likely, and he's starting to wonder, did I get into the right thing here? Is this really the truth? And why do the Jews, who are supposed to be God's people, why do they reject Christ so hardly? And Theophilus himself was doubting. Listen, believers doubt at some point or another. It, it's, it's a common thing. 
And so Luke said, I wrote this book so that you can know the certainty of those things. Yeah. He, he, had, he had heard these things, he had believed these things, but somewhere along the way, something happened, and now Theophilus is not so sure about it. And maybe you're here and you, you identify with John the Baptist right now. Or maybe you remember times in your life where, where you've doubted some things. Maybe you've heard the gospel and you've believed it and maybe you were excited about it at first and you were following Christ and you were telling everybody you know about him, but then something happened. I don't know what it was, but something happened that you weren't expecting. You, you just didn't understand why that would happen to you or, or maybe this Christian life just became too difficult and, and more difficult than you were expecting. Or, or maybe you, were, you weren't ready for so many people to be against you, like John the Baptist here, and he was the target enemy number one. And maybe you weren't expecting that as you lived the Christian life, that there would be so much opposition to you trying to live that way. Or, or maybe there's just some things that you just don't get it. You don't fully understand. And you're here struggling and wondering if you're really doing the right thing. Maybe you're wondering if this whole Christianity thing is even real. And what if my friends and my family and my coworkers are right and I'm the one who's wrong? Or what if there's no God at all and I'm just wasting my time? And maybe, listen, maybe you wouldn't want to admit that because maybe you're embarrassed about that. Uh, but listen, here's the thing. You're not alone in that. It happens. Christians doubt at times. And if you're not doubting, I just want to warn you that there could come a place where you can get to a time like John the Baptist is here. So you're going to want to pay attention to this, and you're going to want to be helped by this. Let's see what the Bible says. First, it's important to note this. When John was doubting, he did the right thing by going to Christ for answers. Listen, when John was doubting who Christ was, he went to Jesus and asked for clarification. You know what he didn't do? He didn't go to the Pharisees. He didn't go to the Sadducees. He didn't say, hey, I'm starting to doubt about Jesus. Let me go to his biggest critics. He didn't do that. He went to, the, he went to Christ himself, and he allowed Jesus to explain. And listen, he obviously didn't fully, he didn't fully uh, stop believing, or else he would have never sent his disciples to Christ. Again, it would have been easy for him to go get the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees or the Sadducees and go tell him why he was wrong. But no, he went to Jesus and he gave Jesus a chance to explain and to shore up where he was missing. He, he didn't stop believing in Christ. He was just wondering if he was wrong about what he believed about Christ. And listen, when you're experiencing times of doubt, it's really important that you go to the right people about it. You need to go to the right people about it. Hey, that's a, partly why I'm here. I, we said it last week, and, but, but it's the truth. Partly the reason why God has given a church an under-shepherd is to help through these things. When you have questions, when you're doubting some things, I will be more than happy to sit down with you and explain it to you. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how, how thrilled I would be for you to come to me and say, hey, I'm wondering about this, I'm questioning this, I don't know if I understand this, I'm not sure if I even believe this. And you don't have to be embarrassed about that. I'll be so excited that you came to me and talked to me about that because I would love to sit down with you and to talk to you about it. You know why? Because so many doubt and then go ask TikTok or Google or they go down the road and ask this church or that church. No, listen, come, come ask. 
We want to explain it. We don't just believe this stuff because it's what we've always done. We have a reason why we believe what we believe. And I would love nothing more than to sit down with you and to talk to you about it. So I would, I would ask you at least to give us that chance, right? Come to me or, or come to Brother Tim or come to Brother Mike or Brother Steve or others. We, we'd be happy to hear you. And we're not going to make fun of you. We're not going to look down on you. No, we're going to be so excited you came to us. Why? Because we've dealt with that before and we've worked through that before and we know it's normal. John the Baptist himself dealt with it and we're glad that you came and talked. We want to help you clear these things up because what, what we need to, more than anything is to be on the same page about these things. But too often, too often people go to the wrong, when people doubt, they go to the wrong people. Or, or even worse yet, they go to nobody. They just try to forget about it. And they never deal with the doubt. And they just come to church and they go through the motions and they do the things. They don't know why they're doing it. They don't understand all of it. They're just doing it because they've always done it. And they're just going through the motions and acting like everything's okay. No, listen, you can't do that. You need to talk to somebody about it. And I know it can be embarrassing, and you might think you have some kind of major spiritual problem if you start to doubt, but can I remind you again, John the Baptist is the one doubting here. He was no wuss. He was no, he was no flake. He was the greatest prophet ever, Jesus said. And he doubted. So don't be embarrassed about it. Come talk to us about it. It's normal to have these kind of thoughts along the way. And chances are, whoever you go talk to about it, they've also struggled at one point or another and have worked through this on their own. You just need to make sure you go to the right people. I want to say this too, doubt's part of your growth. Doubting is part of your growth. When we, when we have doubt, we need, to, we need to face it and work through it and talk to somebody about it and reason through it. That's part of how we grow in our faith and grow in our knowledge. It'll help us to be confident in what we believe. We need to be confident in what we believe. And God is, listen, God has given you a brain and a capacity to reason. You don't have to just believe it just because I said it. In fact, please don't do that. Don't trust me that much. We need to believe it because the Bible says it. And if you don't know why we believe what we believe or say what we say or do what we do, come talk to me and I want to show you why the Bible says what the Bible says about it and why we've come to the conclusion we've come to. You need to be you need to know why you believe what you believe. Yeah. And you know, we're not always going to understand everything because the, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, but we can understand what the Bible says. And we can trust the Word of God, can't we? And we can trust God Himself. And it's always a rational thing to think through these things and come to your own conclusions and be where and be confident in where God has you. And so John went to Jesus and he did the right thing. He humbly and honestly just told Jesus what he was dealing with. And he already knows, right? God already knows what you're dealing with. You don't have to hide it from him. Just go to God and ask him for help. And get some clarity on these things. And so then, whenever Jesus heard about that from the, from the disciples, John sends his two, and he says, hey, uh, he says in verse 19, art thou that should come, or, or look we for another, verse 20, and when the men were come to him, they said, exactly what John the Baptist said, sent to thee, saying, art thou he that should come, 
or look we for another? And immediately, verse 21, in that same hour, he, Jesus, cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind, he gave sight. And so Jesus immediately just starts exploding with these miracles right in front of these guys. In that same hour, he starts healing people and casting out demons. And listen, and because of who Jesus was and because of the miracles he did, people were always thronging him. And there were people all over Jesus who needed to be healed. And there were blind people brought to him at all times and, and, and deaf people and, and lame people. And so Jesus calls these people to himself and he starts healing people. And the, uh, the blind begin to see and the deaf begin to hear and the lame begin to walk. And, and he starts casting demons out of people all right in front of these two disciples of John. And then he tells them this. Verse 22. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what ye have seen and heard. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. They already saw that, right, before they went to tell John. To the poor, the gospel is preached. And so Jesus did all of this in front of them, and on purpose healed and did these things in front of their eyes and told them to tell John that. And this, when he says uh, how that the blind see, the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, this is, this is all references to Isaiah, and we don't have time this morning to go through and flip through all the passages in Isaiah, but throughout that entire book, as Isaiah is talking about the Messiah coming, a big portion of that book is talking about the coming Messiah. Over and over again, it tells us, when the Messiah comes, these are the things you'll see. You'll see the blind see. You'll see the deaf hear. You'll see the dead raised to life. And these are the kinds of things that will happen when the Messiah was here. And John would have known that. He would have known those verses. He grew up knowing he'd be the forerunner to the Messiah. He studied, I'm sure, these passages. And when, when Jesus said that, it clicked in his mind. He knew this is the Messiah. Jesus pointed him right to the truth. These are the kind of miracles that didn't happen all the time, and by the way, don't happen all the time. These kind of miracles, the, the blind immediately receiving sight, the paralyzed immediately getting back to strength, those kind of miracles were very, very rare before Jesus came, and they have been very, very rare since Jesus came. These kinds of faith healings don't happen anymore. I'll be very clear about that. Listen, God is still a God of miracles, but we do not see the blind miraculously and instantaneously receiving their sight all the time like we did during Jesus' lifetime. We don't see the lame who've been paralyzed their whole life just immediately gain full strength and picking up their bed and walking around. We don't see that. We definitely don't see the dead being raised back to life. If you've witnessed that, come talk to me about it because we need to get the news involved. Because that these things don't happen anymore. And, and it's not because God doesn't care anymore or because he's not as powerful as he used to be. It's because there was a purpose behind these miracles. More than just helping them, this explosion of miracles, this explosion of healings and raising of the dead and demons being cast out, this explosion of miracles was a sign that the Messiah was here. The Messiah was here. And listen, the ones who claim to have the gift of healing are just simply not being honest. It doesn't exist anymore. 
There was a purpose for that, and that purpose has been done. And if you look into it close enough, you will know that it's all a show. It's all fake and phony. And if they were legitimate, then why don't they just do what Jesus did and go to the hospitals and clear them out? The Bible says he healed all that were sick in Capernaum. He eradicated disease in Capernaum. And if someone truly has this kind of power, why are they not at the hospitals at all times? It's because it's not true. It's not real. These things don't happen today. These kind of healings don't happen on this scale anymore. Now, we can pray for healing. And God is still the great physician. And we have seen God do some incredible things as far as health in our church, haven't we? Yeah, we've seen God confound the doctors. And we've seen people heal quicker than was expected. But what we have not seen is someone who came up here with cancer and I threw a spiritual fireball at their head and now they're, they're healed up. That doesn't happen. Fake. Fake. That was here for a specific time and for a specific purpose to show that the Messiah was here. And John would have known that. And as John's hearing about these things, he's now confident. Yep, the Messiah is here. Listen, as far as we know, John had no more questions after that. John just needs to be reminded about what the Bible has said. That's what he needed, right? He needed to be reminded about truth. And Jesus said in verse 23, And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Listen, not one time did Jesus laugh at John. Not one time did he criticize John for his doubt. Nope. Here's what Jesus did. He helped John deal with the doubt. Deal with the doubt. He reminded John who he was. He reminded John about what the Bible said. And he said, Blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. That's exactly what we need to do this morning. Hey, there's a good chance that doubt will creep into your life at one point or another if it hasn't already. But you need to be very careful at those times to not allow yourself to be offended by it. Doubt will come. Just don't let it offend you. Don't let it cause you to stumble or fall. Just go to somebody and talk to us. and We would love to help you with that. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on church. Go talk to somebody about it. You need to deal with the doubt. Always. Deal with the doubt. You need to talk to me or Brother Tim or Brother Mike or somebody about it. You need to talk to God about it and ask Him to help you. You need to remember who God is and remember all of the things that He's done in your life. And sometimes when we get caught up in this thing of doubt, we forget all of the amazing things God's already done. We need to remember who God is. We need to remember what He's already done and then see what the Bible says about it. Get your nose in the book. Remind yourself of, his, of the truth of his word and deal with the doubt. And I'd be glad to walk you through that. I would be glad to. But maybe you're here this morning and you don't doubt because you've never truly believed. You don't know what I'm talking about. Because you've never had truth that you believed that you doubted about God. Maybe you're just getting into this thing and into this church thing and you don't know a lot about God yet. Well, here's what you need to do. Just keep coming. Just keep coming, keep learning, keep asking questions. And again, I'd be glad to sit down with you and have a Bible study with you and explain to you what the Bible says and answer any questions you have. Or maybe, maybe you've heard the message and you've, you've sat down and you've, you've heard the gospel and you know who Jesus is and you know what he did for you and you know about sin, but you just have not been convinced about it. Maybe there are some things 
in your mind that just haven't quite clicked or that's something that you don't really agree with. And listen, I'm so glad you're here. And I would love, again, to sit down with you and to explain these things to you and to show you from the Word of God what the Bible says and how we can clear these things up. You don't have to take my word for it. I don't have anything for you. I'm, I'm just a human. I'm just a man. But I would love to help you see what the Bible says about it. I would love to. Because, listen, we all have to deal with the doubt in our hearts. We all need to restore confidence in what we believe, in what we believe and why we believe it. We all need that. We need to spend that time. We need to do that labor. We need to reason through these things. And I promise you this, I promise you this, no matter where you are in this thing, no matter if you're, you're just rock solid and you know what you believe and why you believe and you have no issues or whether you're, you're teetering or whether you're, you're close, to the out, close to walking out the door, I will tell you this, I promise you this, there is a rational and legitimate reason to believe that the Bible is the truth of the Word of God, that God is real, and that the Bible does have the answer. It does, I promise you that. We just need to sit down and reason through it. I'd be glad to do it. And I know there's other men in this church that'd be glad to do it. But you got to deal with the doubt. Let's pray. Well, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it helps us. Helps us to have clarity. Helps us to fill in the gaps. Lord, uh, helps us to have confidence in what we believe. And Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, for these people who have come to hear from you. And Lord, if there's one or two or three or more in this room that are struggling with believing some of these things, I pray, Lord, that you give them the, the confidence, the courage to come and, and think through it and reason through it and help our church family to love them and help them and help us all, God, to deal with the doubt in our life. Help us to have confidence in you, confidence in your word, and follow you. Lord, if there's one here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior, that's never called out in faith to you, I pray that you would work in their heart. Help them to see their need. Lord, we love you. Christ, in my prayer. Amen. Let's stand together.